Welcome to I'm Game with Fred Croner. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Nicole Millage, a Centennial High School athlete and a four-time member of the U.S. Paralympic sitting volleyball team, and not only a member of the team, but uh, brought back uh, silver medals two times and gold medals twice, uh, including for the 2020 Tokyo Games that you know, Nicole, it's hard for me to think about it being 2020 Tokyo Games, and they just ended uh, earlier uh, in September of 2021, but I guess that's what they're referring to them as, right? The 2020 Games? Yep, that's still what they're referring to them as. That's because everything they had printed out says 2020 on it, so that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, that would probably cost a lot to redo all that. Yeah. Well, I understand this was, uh, you had determined in advance, this was going to be your, your last year um, with the uh, the sitting volleyball, so talk about a nice way to go out with a, with a gold medal in, in your final appearance, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, yes, I had decided a few years ago that I wanted to end my career, my sitting volleyball career in 2020. So, you know, I was pretty solid about that decision. I've been playing for a long time since 2005. And, you know, I felt like I'd accomplished a lot in my career and I'm not getting any younger and our team is, you know, getting better and better and it's more competitive. So, um, yeah, I had decided that 2020 was going to be it for me. And then, of course, you know, everything with COVID hit and that postponed it, you know, a year. So that was obviously unexpected. And it gave some of my teammates an opportunity to actually train more because those living in Oklahoma um, still trained during that time. So and I wasn't able to do that with, you know, living here in Champaign. So tell me, did you have any reluctance, uh, you know, after you made the team for 2021 in terms of, of going to Tokyo, knowing that, you know, there still was a pandemic going on and, uh, you know, there were signs of, you know, a second wave or third wave. I'm not sure exactly what it is now, but uh, any reluctance or hesitation in your mind? Um, for me personally, there was not. But if I back up just a little bit, I was actually named as an alternate for the 2020 um, Tokyo Games. So that is something I didn't find out until mid-July that um, I was an alternate and that I was not on the initial roster. So that was actually pretty heartbreaking to me at the time. And I was really upset that I didn't make the final roster. I had just been with the team in a tournament um, a week before that in the Netherlands. So I was pretty stunned by the news that I wasn't on the roster. And then I also knew that if there was ever a time that maybe um, you know, an Olympic or Paralympic team was going to need to use an alternate that it would be probably this games because of everything going on. So um, that's exactly what ended up ha happening is a couple of my teammates tested positive for COVID and the 96 hour test that they had to take before they left. So that is why I ended up getting to go is because I was called up to replace one of those athletes. So while I was, you know, heartbroken for my teammate, I was also excited for the opportunity to finish my career in Tokyo, which is what I wanted to do all along. So I wasn't hesitant because of the pandemic going on, because I knew there were safety precautions in place. We got tested every single day. Um, if anything, I was fearful of just, I wanted to avoid people in contact with anybody those that week leading up um, to leaving, because if I had tested positive, I wouldn't have got to go either. So, you know, I just uh, stayed at home and stayed safe and made sure that I could get there. So talk about the, the emotional roller coaster from, you know, late July when you originally weren't on the team until all of a sudden a few days before it's time to travel, you're, you're back on the team. I mean, I imagine it, 
you, you go from a low to a high uh, pretty darn quick. I mean, talk about that uh, part of the aspect. Yeah, that was definitely how you would describe it. It was a serious low um, when I found out that I didn't make the roster because I really thought that I was going to. So it was kind of, I felt kind of blindsided and they knew it was my last games and I felt like I could still contribute in a very positive, um, good way to this team. So I was shocked when they made that decision. So there was a few weeks there where I was really sad. I was really depressed. I just couldn't believe that that was how my career was going to end, you know? And at the same time, the Olympics were going on. So I was watching all of that on TV. I was watching the beach women be successful, the indoor team be successful. And just, you know, I was just kind of, you know, sad. And it seemed like right when I was getting to the point where I was like, the, you know, my team's going to be leaving in less than a week. I'm getting more used to the idea that I'm not going and I can just be supportive from home. Um, that was when everything just kind of blew up and changed. And um, it was like, okay, I knew for nine days that there was a possibility of me going, but it took nine days for that to be confirmed. So waiting in limbo was extremely difficult. You know, it was a lot like roller coaster of emotions for sure for that month that all of this happened. But, you know, I obviously, like I said, was super thrilled then that um, I was going to get to go and support my team because that's what I wanted to do more than anything. Well, if you didn't already have patience, I'm sure this experience taught you uh, to be patient, <laughs> didn't it? Oh yeah. That was a whole new level for me because I am not a patient person, but I, you know, I had no choice, but to just ride that out and kind of hope that it would go the way that I wanted it to. So I want to back up a little bit. I, I had first gotten to know you in the mid nineties when you played volleyball and softball at Centennial. And then uh, you graduated in 95. And I believe about three years later, you had a, a life altering uh, experience. You want to talk a little bit about, uh, about what happened that then enabled you eventually to become a para-Olympic athlete. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, in 1998, I was involved in a boating accident out at Clinton Lake. And it was one of those, you know, fun days of boating that unfortunately turned tragic. And myself and another um, man were on the front of a boat. The driver of the, our boat had been drinking and he made the decision um, at the time to kind of accelerate the boat and throw us off the front of it. And so obviously that was a horrible decision. And um, myself and the other gentlemen were run over by the boat that we were on. So as a result of that accident, um, my lower left leg had to be amputated. And then I also had um, a cut to my left hand. So I had to have a lot of surgeries on it to rehabilitate that. Um, so yeah, that was obviously very devastating at the time. I was 21 years old. You know, I'd been an athlete my whole life. And, you know, I had to, this whole new way of life and looking at life. And I didn't at the time know any other amputees or anybody that, you know, I could even relate to at all. So this was a whole new experience to me. I didn't know how a prosthetic worked. I didn't know anything. It's not maybe as mainstream or, you know, it's on TV. It feels like all the time now that you're seeing someone with a prosthetic leg. And, you know, at the time it was just pretty scary, but that essentially is what qualified me to become a Paralympic athlete um, is my um, prosthetic leg is my, yeah, my injury that I suffered as a result of the boating accident. And then 
in 2004, so this was a good six years later, I discovered sitting volleyball. I went to a camp with um, actually a girl that I had met her parents randomly at the softball field. They saw me, they saw I had a prosthetic leg and they said, our daughter also just lost her leg and she doesn't know anybody. So maybe you guys could meet. And we got introduced and she was getting ready to go be a camp counselor at a camp for kids with disabilities. And at that camp, which I ended up attending also, it was introducing the kids to different adaptive sports. And it was also at the same time introducing me to adaptive sports because I hadn't seen sitting volleyball or sled hockey or all the different sports that are out there for um, athletes with disabilities until that time. So I was introduced to sitting volleyball and basically the rest is history. So if you would talk, talk a little bit about though the, the years between 1998 and 04 when you got involved. I mean, were there a lot of times where you felt like, you know, gosh, my life is over or were you kind of a, a positive person and said, well, okay, I, you know, this is the, who I am now. I'm going to make lemonade out of this and, and move forward. So what, what were those years like for you? Um, I would say that there, that's a good mixture of both of those things. You know, I had never, like I said, this was a whole new world to me. So I didn't know what to expect. You know, I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, and I still wanted to play sports really badly. So I did during those years um, play softball. So I found it to be a great challenge to get out there on the field and play with a prosthetic leg. And I know that, you know, I just like the way that everybody kind of watched and looked at me too, because they're like, wow, she's still doing this, you know, despite everything that's happened. And so there were definite challenges along the way, a hundred percent, because that's when prosthetics weren't that great. Um, you know, they were still in the development phase, I guess, to what they are now. So I never, you know, I didn't have a really great prosthetic, um, going to the appointments all the time. Uh, was draining emotionally and physically. And I didn't like the prosthetic place here in Champaign at the time. So I drove to a place in Effingham. So that meant multiple trips, you know, all the time to Effingham. And, you know, it was just a really low time, but my family and friends really rallied around me and they would take turns going down to Effingham with me, you know, just hanging out, anything to kind of distract me. So you know, once I was, you know, on my feet again, I, you know, I got back to playing sports and that's where I found the most joy. So, you know, up until I found sitting volleyball, then in 2004, I, you know, that opened my eyes to a whole new way of playing volleyball, which if anybody hasn't seen it, sitting volleyball, the court is smaller, um, the net is lower and you're playing on your bottom. So I don't play with my prosthetic leg on because it's easier not to, and you're scooting around essentially on your bottom and whatever appendages that you do have to push yourself around. Cause it's a fast paced game and you know, you have to get to the ball and you know, anybody that's seen it is usually pretty blown away by it because, you know, they see how hard we work <laughs> to make it happen. So when you got introduced to, to the adaptive sports and, and especially volleyball, was it something you kind of immediately gravitated to or did it take a while to convince you that, hey, this is something I want to be involved with? Or, or did you just immediately right away say, hey, th this is for me, I'm going for it? Um, yeah, that's a great question because I like to say that I immediately was like, yes, this is for me. 
Um, but it was super difficult. It was really challenging. And I, you know, like I said, it was brand new to me. I was trying to figure it out and it was really, really hard, um, you know, to move and to be as good at it as I wanted to be. So at first I, yeah, I definitely was like, is this for me? You know, should I do this? But really what it was is the other women, the other girls that were still, that were there doing it, like watching them, learning their stories, being around people that, you know, were like me or had a similar story, but at the same time, we're all coming together for this sport and focused on that and not focused on our disability. So immediately I just gravitated towards these other women and they were like, Hey, you got to give this a try. It's great. It's fun to play volleyball. It's fun to travel the world. Like there's so many opportunities here that, you know, you have to stick with it. So really it was just after my first training camp that I was like, okay, yeah, I need to do this. I want to stick with it. And, um, I did, I didn't officially start until 2005, right after the Athens games and the Athens games were the first time that sitting women's sitting volleyball was in the Paralympics. And so they won a bronze at that games. And that was kind of a surprise. Like they didn't expect to really win anything. And they ended up um, going home with a bronze, which was huge for our program. So in 2005 is when I started playing. And then by 2007, I was working as a legal secretary in the laborers union hall in Urbana and, you know, living in Champaign, I had my own house and I decided that I wanted to sell my house and uproot everything I know here and move to Oklahoma where our main training facility is. And I wanted to train full-time because if I was going to do this sport, I wanted to be the best at it and, or, you know, my best at it. And I want, the only way I could do that was training full-time. So I moved down to Oklahoma, which at the time I was like, I don't even know where Edmond, Oklahoma is, but I figured it out. (laughs) And uh, I went to school while I was there at the university of central Oklahoma, because I had, I had never finished my bachelor's degree. So I wanted to do that. And then while I was there, I also got my MBA. So it was a good use of my time training full-time for the sport that I loved and uh, getting my degrees. So before you made that commitment back when you were still here in, in Champaign-Urbana, were you at that point thinking that, hey, maybe someday I could go to the Paralympics or was it just more something to do to, to be active and, and be involved with, with other people that you had something in common with? Well, I guess at the very beginning, it was to do, to be active, to play a sport that I love and to, um, to be around other athletes that were like myself. I didn't know in 2005, what the Paralympics even were. So, you know, I learned all of that. And then absolutely, you know, after I joined and started training more, that was my goal was to make the team for the 2008 Paralympics in Beijing. So over this uh, past, what, about 16 years, I mean, you, you've had the opportunity to just travel extensively. T- talk about that. I mean, all the, the, the places you've been to, I mean, beyond just the, the Olympics at Beijing in 08 and London in, in 212 and Rio in 16, now this year, Tokyo. I mean, you, you've just been to dozens of other places, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've been to not, I mean, we've been to many, many places. I'd say we go to like the Netherlands the most. We've seen Russia, we've seen Egypt. 
Um, you know, we've seen so many places that I never in a million years thought that I would get to see. You know, I always joke that I never imagined in my lifetime that I would make it to China. And I've been there almost like 10 times. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that flight is not very fun, but um, it's so cool to just see other parts of the world that you just normally maybe wouldn't get to see, you know, and that especially under um, USA Volleyball and Team USA getting to do it. You know, you go and they take care of you and they want to make sure that you have a good visit. And that's just like with Tokyo, you know, they were amazing host. And with everything going on, they still made you feel very welcomed. And, you know, I never have done so much like two-handed waving in my life. They're just like so beyond friendly. But, but yeah, I mean, I've seen some like, super amazing places all over the world. When we went to the London games afterwards, my best friend, my teammate, and I went to Paris and we went to Italy and, you know, I just feel like I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do all of that stuff had it not been for sitting volleyball. So are you a believer that, that things happen for a reason? As you think back on that boating accident, I mean, at, at the time you probably couldn't think of anything positive coming of that, but Yet, you know, here, here you are 16 years later and you've had all these magnificent experiences. Yeah, yep, for sure. I mean, I feel like we all have, you know, moments in our life that lead us in different directions, but that is obviously like a huge one that totally altered the course of my life. And I have no idea what my life would have been like had that accident not happened. So as awful as it was at the time, for sure. I mean, I wouldn't change anything about my life uh, with the way that everything's unfolded. I mean, that's just, I am, I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. And I'm just extremely grateful um, at the end of the day that this was where my life's path led me. So talk a little bit about the, uh, the some of the nuances of sitting volleyball beyond what you said. I mean, obviously, you're, you're sitting down. It makes it difficult, harder to, to move. But what, what are some of the other things for, for people that haven't seen it or haven't experienced it that you can kind of uh, share in terms of what it's like or how it's different from the, the regular game? Sure. Um, I would encourage people, first of all, to try to watch our match, our gold medal match from Tokyo, because it's an amazing match. It was on um, NBC Sports. You can watch it on the app, the Peacock app. I've seen it there, too. So, yeah, it's worth watching just to see it with your own eyes. I'd say one of the major differences with sitting volleyball is that we can block serves. So there's usually at least two or three people at the net when someone's serving and, you know, you can try to block a serve. You don't want to reach or go crazy because you don't want to interfere with your passer trying to pass it. But it's just a much more fast paced game than standing. Um, you know, everything moves that much quicker because it's lower and closer to the ground and you know, you have to just be ready. There was many years, many years towards the beginning when I got, you know, pegged in the face by a ball. <laughs> so, which is like my least favorite thing, but eventually you learn to uh, get those hands up quick enough. So, but yeah, when you serve, your bottom has to be behind the service line. You can't come in front of it. It still has like the the 10, the back row rules where you can't cross over. It's the two meter line in setting volleyball. Um, we still have a libero that we use, which just is a strictly back row player that can come in um, 
for somebody in the back row to play defense for them. So a lot of the rules are still the same. Um, really, it's just more of a fast-paced game. So I want to talk a little bit specifically about the, the games that just ended in, in Tokyo. You guys were in position in, in your third match there. It was basically uh, win or go home. I mean, you were you were one and one in pool play. And I mean, in a, I, I believe it was, uh, was it Russia then that you played in that third match? Yes, yes. Our so first match. Yeah, talk, talk about that. I mean, that, that has to be an intensely pressurized uh, position. I mean, especially coming off being the, the defending gold medal champions. Yeah, it really was for sure. Um, Russia is someone that has been one of our toughest, toughest competitors for the last quad, you know, the last few years. And we hadn't really seen China at all, which is who we just lost to in pool play right before that. Unexpectedly, we weren't expecting them to come out quite as hot as they did. <laughs> um, and again, with us having all the issues that we had with our team, most of us didn't even get there until the day before we started playing. So just to set that up a little bit, you know, we didn't have time to acclimate. We didn't have a lot of practices. We had like one practice before we started playing. And, you know, luckily our first match was against Rwanda, which, you know, we knew would be a pretty easy match for us, which we were thankful that we got to start that way to kind of ease into it. And our matches were every other day. And then we had a practice in between. So we had a practice and then our second match was China. And like I said, they come, they came out guns blazing. We found out that they had been isolated for two years together, doing nothing but practicing. Wow. And yeah, so they, they met in business and they wanted to reclaim the gold more than anything. And so, yeah, that kind of like took us by surprise. We hadn't seen their style of play in a long time. And when we saw them at Worlds three years ago in 2018, you know, they just weren't as good as they used to be. And they ended up getting third place at that tournament. And we actually got second place to Russia who got first place. So we always had that in our head of being beat by Russia at Worlds. We hadn't won a Worlds yet. We really, really wanted to. We ended up getting beat by them. And the scores were like 26 to 24 the entire match. And so we were really devastated by that loss, but it also pushed us to work harder over the last three years because we're like, there's no way we're going to lose to Russia again. We're not going to do this. We've seen them many times. We've played against them many times and we always beat them. So it's like, we just had this whole thing of what happened at worlds in our heads all the time and how we knew that, you know, they could beat us on any given day, obviously. So to answer your question, that meant the third match we were playing against Russia and we were basically what we called in the death pool because it was us, um, Russia, China, and Rwanda. And we knew that one of those teams wasn't going to get a medal because of that's, you know, with crossovers, it was impossible for one of us to get into crossovers. Um, so yeah, we went into that match knowing that it was kind of do or die. Like we have to win this match in order to move forward in semifinals. And luckily we beat Russia in three and we played really well. And it was a very exciting win for us. And it really boosted our confidence going into semifinals. So then you knock off Brazil in the semifinals and that puts you in the finals against a, a team from China that you'd just been swept by a few days earlier. And them three to one. I mean, that, that seems like an amazing turnabout to be able to, to, you know, change things around that quickly 
like that. What, what were some of the keys to being able to, to catch them the second time? So I'd say some of the keys were, um, we ended up having our sports psychologist in Tokyo with us because unfortunately one of our assistant coaches also tested positive for COVID right before we left. So he was unable to attend. So they were able to get his um, spot filled with our sports psychologist, which again, I'm a believer in like, you know, everything that's meant to happen will. And it was good that we had him there because we really needed, you know, some sports psych sessions with everything that had been going on with our team. You know, we were missing two of our really great players who we all love and we're good friends with, and they weren't there. And, um, you know, we had lost to China and it was like, oh gosh, you know, is this going to happen again where, you know, China's back on the, you know, on the gold medal podium and like, you know, how are we going to do this? And so our coaches are amazing. Um, the way that they study the games and they study the stats and they just kind of like figure out some small adjustments that we can make, you know, um, China's a team that likes to use high hands when they swing. So it was like about adjusting our block, um, where it needed to be so that we would be more successful. And if you watch the gold medal match, it basically looks like a blocking clinic, like block, you know, this is how you should block in sitting volleyball. My teammates are absolutely amazing at it. You know, it helps that we have some pretty tall, long girls, because even though we're sitting down, it's still definitely a benefit to be tall when you're playing sitting volleyball. So yeah, that was really the biggest adjustments. And it helped that everybody had their best game possible in that very moment. Everybody was hitting great. Everybody was um, digging and had great defense. Our serve receive was like just so wonderful. Just felt like everything clicked and came together. And that first set was 25 to 12, I think. And I was just like, whoa, I was like, what is going on? Like, you know, it just felt good to, to be dominant in that situation because you couldn't ask for anything better. Well, certainly a nice way to, uh, to wind up your career. Um, before I let you go, Nicole, though, I want to ask you, uh, your, your day job now is with the city of Champaign managing the recycling program and talk a little bit about why this uh, gold medal has a special uh, significance for you. Yeah, um, so I've actually been with the city since after the London games. I moved back here in 2012 and wanted to kind of start working full time. And I wasn't 100 percent sure I was going to keep playing after Rio. But of course, I decided to keep playing after Rio. And here I am. Um, I am retired, though, from studying volleyball now. Tokyo is it for me. But my job at the city as the recycling coordinator, I mean, the whole thing just feels like kismet, I guess you could say, because our gold medal from Tokyo is made out of um, recycled electronics. And that's what I do at the city. I do recycling programs, recycling services. We have an upcoming um, electronics collection coming up. So it all just feels like it was meant to be and that I was supposed to have this beautiful gold medal made out of recycled electronics. <laughs> now, did you know in advance going over there that that's what the gold medals were made out of or, or is that something you found out after the fact? 
No, I had seen it, I think on Facebook or something where it was mentioning how that was going to be the case. So I was just like, I, I have to, I feel like I'm supposed to have one of those, you know? <laughs> so, but yeah, and they're really, really beautiful metals and they, um, they're very heavy. That's always everyone's first comment is how heavy it is. <laughs> well, congratulations. Uh, what, what a fantastic career you've had. And now you can just kind of get back and enjoy your day job and, and be a spectator, right? Yeah, exactly. I can't wait to sell or, you know, to cheer from the sidelines at home and Paris is only three years away now. So I'm excited to see what the, what our team does in Paris. All right. We've been talking today with Nicole Millage, a four-time Paralympic athlete from Champaign, Illinois. Uh, Nicole, again, congratulations and thank you. Thanks for your time today. Thank you very much.